welcome those that are joining online. Of course, our 12 locations and 12 correctional facilities. It's a real honor to be with you as well. Celebration Church, come on, let's say hello to everybody joining online. Great to see you guys. So we are in a series called Endeavor, and I want to thank David Walker for doing that amazing video, an amazing man, and we're just grateful for his leadership in our church. And when we call it Endeavor, we're not just doing this series on, on transforming our workplace, but we're also we're launching a brand new series, not just series, but a, a ministry that we, we want you to understand that your work, it's, it's all about God and it has a purpose and it has a plan. And I want you to check out in the concourse, our endeavor. Uh, we, have a, we have a whole booth. We have a whole ministry course. The whole thing has been just transformed to highlight endeavor. We'd love for you to also be a part of our launch team. That'll be coming up March the 24th. And what we're saying around endeavor is this, that we, in our vision, want to transform. We want to transform the world by by serving God in our workplace. And then our whole mission is work is created by God for God and you are placed there for a purpose. God did not put you in that job because he hates you. Some of you think, no, no, he does. He hates me with all of his heart. No, you are there by purpose. And you say, well, Pastor Joe, I don't know about that. How do, well, how do you know? Well, the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are what? They're ordered of the Lord. So are your stops. You see, there are stops. If there are steps, there are stops. And uh, there are stops that you don't necessarily like, but let me just tell you, God has a way to use your stops. And in those stops, what I think God's trying to communicate is that that you need to realize the power of God in the workplace. You know, over 80 some odd percent of Jesus' miracles happened in the marketplace. They didn't happen in the temple. In fact, what was the first thing that happened in the temple according to the book of Mark? He cast out a devil in the temple. But in the marketplace, that's what Jesus was doing, I believe, so many of his miracles, because why? There was hunger, there was thirst, there was reality. Since I have been in the ministry, I've tried to get back into the marketplace. I've quit every day for the last 21 years of planning this church. But I also know where I'm called. I know how I'm wired. I know why God has used me the way that I am. But I'll be honest, I also do miss being where many of you are every day. And that, that is not in a religious world, but in the real world. See, right now, we can be really good in our religious world right here but put you in the real world, put you in a place where people are not religious. In fact, they may be anti. They're not even pretending to be Christians in today's world anymore. And there's something fresh about that. There should be something in you that is appealing because you were born for battle. You were not born, and watch this, you were not born for vacation. You were born for occupation. When God made man, he did not birth man. In fact, let's look at something here. The Bible tells us, God says, let's make man in our image. Let's make, let's make, let's fabricate, let's create. But I want you to see something. Let's labor, let's fashion. Let's, let's put our hands on this, this being man. Let's make, notice God making something, working on something. In our image. So God is a working God. He's a creating God. Let's make man in our image according to our likeness, speaking of the Trinity. And then let, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. How many know some creeps? How many have some creepy things with you today? The reality is, he goes, I gave you a job, Adam. I've given you a job, Eve. I've given you a job, man, woman. And that is, notice in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and he put him in a garden to do what? Not to camp in it, but to cultivate it. He didn't give man a lawn chair and a drink with an umbrella in it. And then say, you know what? Take it. Take it and go easy on yourself. No, in the sweat of thy brow, you will, you will eat, you will work. But in the sweat of thy brow, you will be blessed. You know, work matters because how many know eating matters? How many like to eat? 
Well, I love, this might be my favorite Bible verse in all the Bible. I've said this to my sons even this morning. Second Thessalonians 3 and 10. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to what? He doesn't get to eat. In other words, when there's a bigger government, there's a smaller God. And when there is the smaller government, there's a bigger God. In other words, God says, I have given you life. I've given you labor. I've given you the ability to make wealth, Deuteronomy. And what we've got to see is we've got to see that God wants us to redeem where we spend most of our time. It's at work. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. That's where we probably most of our people and most of our friendships come out of work. And we have been placed there for a purpose. And one of the things we want to see in Endeavor is that we are aware that God wants to redeem the workplace because I really do believe the place where your mission field is, is going to be in your work. The mission field is right across the street. It's right in that workplace. It's right there in that cubicle, in that car dealership, whatever you do, but work matters. And what I want to give you is a few things today because what we're saying is in our Endeavor tagline, it's time to get to work for a purpose, for a reason, not just just to collect a paycheck, not just to eat, not just as David was saying in the video for dollar signs, but we are the light of the what? Of the world. You're not the light of the church. We already have a light in the church. His name is Jesus. You're not the salt of the church. You're the salt of what? So therefore, we carry our light. We carry our salt into that workplace. There's a reason for it because most people are not going to step into this church. Most people are not even, and the Bible says, no, not one is hungry or is seeking after me. The Bible talks about it. We've all gone astray. So it's in that workplace where we're going to have our best conversations couple things. Number one, work matters because it's from God. It's a simple thought. But some of us think it's from the devil. No, it's from God. Work was created by God. Work matters to God. It matters to your marriage. How many know a working man is an attractive man? Ladies, you say, oh, I get a round of applause. Oh, here we go. Revival. A working man is a sexy man. I hope I'm sexy up here on top of this platform to my wife. I'm working. I'm working. Makes a difference in your marriage. Makes a difference in your money. Makes a difference in your mentality. How many of you, you don't feel good when you're not working? You, you don't wake up going, man, I felt really good about yesterday. What'd you do? Nothing. I didn't do anything. I watched all the judge shows, Judge Judy and every other kind of thing that was on there. You don't wake up going, man, I really love my life. No, you don't. It doesn't do you good in your mood, in your mentality, when you're not engaged, when you're not working. It doesn't help your manhood or your womanhood, the reality is. It doesn't help your mood. You need to go out and win something. You need to go out and conquer something. You need to go out and get something done. Maybe, maybe you say, well, Pastor Joe, I'm unemployed. I had several people this morning say, so I'm unemployed. Well, one of the things I think you need to do is, well, that's an opportunity, first of all, not just to trust in the Lord, but to clean your garage. Keep active. Maybe God's trying to tell you, clean your garage. You might get into a garage cleaning company. You never know what may happen. The Bible says lazy people want much. See, watch this. But they don't get it because hard work gets it. It's the hard working people who will prosper. I, that's what I love about Proverbs. We are people of prayer. We are all about prayer at Celebration Church because God's all about prayer. But guys, you don't pray and ask God to bring you money. You don't pray and say, Lord, grow a big money tree in the back of my, back of my yard. Doesn't work unless it has. Let us know where you live. <laughs> you go to work. You study. God said, love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your body. Present your body a living sacrifice to God. You got you to labor. God has worked this thing. Go back to Genesis. He put man in there to take that garden, and he says, I want you to cultivate that garden. Cultivate it. I want you to, I want you to expand it. I want you to till it. it. It doesn't stop. How many know farmers don't just say, you know what? We had a great year. We're good to go. We plowed it last year. That should take care of 30 years of plowing. It doesn't work that way. 
You have to continue to plow. We're all farmers in that way. And then he says, I want you to keep it. Don't just expand it. Don't just cultivate it, but keep it. Watch it. Take care of it. That's your job. Number two, work matters because it's ministry. Your work is ministry. Pastor Joe, I'd love to be in the ministry. No, you don't want to be in the ministry. I've tried to get out of the ministry. I'm here to tell you, don't go in the ministry unless you can't do anything but ministry. The worst thing that can happen to you is to feel like, well, I really feel like I'm really working for God if I was preaching, if I was leading in a church staff, or if I was part of a team. That's where I want to be because that's where God really shows up. No, no, you haven't worked on a staff if that's the case. The devil shows up on church staff. It's called staff infection. You see, the reality is... The last thing you want, I talk as many people out of doing ministry as I possibly can. Because if you're not called to it, if it's not an anointing, understand something I was talking to. And in fact, I wanted to talk to him just to get his perspective. Many of you, of course, you know, the greens who own and founded Hobby Lobby, David Green, Mark Green, Steve, they're, they're very good friends of mine. I called Mark on Friday and I said, just give me a few thoughts about ministry and the marketplace. And he said, what really changed my perspective when I heard my dad say, I was anointed to be a merchant. See, we think you're anointed to be a preacher, anointed to be a pastor, anointed to be an evangelist, an apostle, a a pastor, a teacher. But you're anointed to do business. Look what Peter says. "You You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. For God's possession, so that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You have at one time did not have mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, but keep your behavior excellent among your co-workers or the Gentiles or those that don't know God those that you work with, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, let me just tell you what he was saying. That day of visitation, in their day of visitation, your co-workers, in their day in which they're about to meet God, should require or even should recall the time that they spent with you. That's what he's saying, that when they're about to step over from this world into the next, when they're about to meet God face to face, in that day of visitation, do they think of you? In other words, thinking about what you said to them about Jesus, or even declaring by your good deeds, by your excellent work, can they say in that moment, I remember what he or she said to me about the love of God. God, I want their relationship, the same relationship that they had with you. Lord, I want to know you. Forgive me of my sins. It's an ancient story, but it's a true story of a very wealthy landowner, baron type person hundreds of years ago. And he had, he had a very good pastor friend of his that, that was his minister. And they would fish and they would hunt and they spent a lot of time together. But then he also had many workers. He had quite a farm, quite an operation, and he had... He had one of his blacksmiths that was a nobody in realm of society. But whenever, whenever the blacksmith was around his boss, his owner, he would always speak about Jesus and always declare the goodness of God. When he was with the pastor and the minister, they talked a lot about fishing and they talked a lot about hunting and a lot about society and the current events of the day, but very little about God. And when it came to his day of visitation, when he knew he was about to step into eternity, his wife said, do you want me to go get your pastor, your minister? And he said, no, I want you to go get the blacksmith because he's the only one that has told me the real way to knowing Jesus. He has not been concerned about being my best friend as much as he's been concerned about sharing the gospel with me. Let me ask you a question. When you go to work, are you aware that you are carrying the gospel by how you live? And of course, what you say. 
Every place you go, the Bible says you are to bring the glory of God to. The Bible tells us, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the Bible says, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. It's for his glory, whatever you do. In fact, I had a a young lady after the last service say, Pastor Joe, I used to work and I loved it and I would do it for God's glory and I had a lot of effective witnessing. But she said, now I'm just taking care of my babies. I said, you do it for the glory of God. Everything is special to God. You're making an impact. And whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. At 12 years old, when Joseph and Mary couldn't find Jesus, as they thought he was in the caravan, and after several days, they finally realized, of course, you know, we, we didn't return with Jesus from the mall. How many have ever lost a child on purpose at the mall? But they got back home, and they realized after a day's journey, we haven't seen him. And so finally, after three days, they finally found him in the temple. What was he doing in the temple? The Bible says he was listening and asking questions. And they go, Jesus, you have really caused us pain. You have made us anxious. Why have you done this to us? And what did he say? Did you not know that I had to be about my what? Father's business. At 12, he had a business understanding. At 12, he knew he was on this planet for a business trip. Guys, you're on a business trip. And the darker this world gets, the harder this world gets, the more evil that we're seeing. And I think we would all agree, it's just anything and everything that can be shaken is being shaken. God is looking for more people to take some business trips. To realize that your work is your ministry. It's of God. It's not less it's not small. It's not insignificant. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, I am fed while I'm in the will of God. I am eating while I'm in the will of God. The will of God is that we would work and he feeds you. And that's not just physical food. That is spiritual food. And this is why God wants us to understand that we are called to ministry. We are here for such a time as this. Let me move into that third category, and then we'll kind of camp around this last one. Work matters because it makes a difference. Work matters because it makes a difference. Yes, it, it is because it's ministry and it's, it's of God, but I just want to bring this point into this wording, you're making a difference. I was called to ministry my junior year at LSU. I had received Christ at 14, and now I know that the Lord has me to go into full-time vocational ministry. And I went to the LSU football team, athletic department, as I was playing football at LSU, I was on their football scholarship, and I went to the, I went to the athletic director. Joe Dean and the staff and I said, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to pray before the national anthem. Nobody prays. And so before the national anthem, what about me and a couple of other guys? We could rotate, but would you let us pray? And then you can sing the national anthem and we would just like to make a difference in our work. And they looked at each other and said, sure. So I walked down. Lori will tell you, I, I did not know Lori at this time. She remembers these prayers. And we walk out and there would be 80,000 people in the stands and they'd say, now, would you please stand for the invocation? And I'd say, Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for protection. We thank you for the greatest university that God has ever created. We thank you, Lord, that <laughs> there's just no other name above this name, LSU. And I would go through the various theological positions. And then we'd pray for protection. We'd pray for safety. Families are traveling back and forth. And this is what I would then begin to do. Lord, we thank you that when you came to this world 2,000 years ago, you came to save us because we're all lost. 
We're all sinners. We've all, in, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You said that whosoever will, Lord, come to you. You would not cast away or resist, but you'd receive. Lord, in this stadium right now, there are people that are drunker than Boudreaux and Thibodeau. You said even Boudreaux and Thibodeau can be saved if they just call upon your name, Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you said in your word that if anyone will just say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive my sins. This is how I'd pray, guys. In fact, you can do this right now. And I'd say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. God, I ask you now to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And I, to this, in fact, for years after, I'd get calls from people. I was that Boudreaux and that Thibodeau. And something hit me in that prayer. One man called me from Lake Charles and he says, I gave my life to Christ in that prayer. And I've never been the same since. Poured out my alcohol. And my frat friends thought, what in the world has happened to you? And he goes, I do not know. You see, my work was making a difference. You do not know the difference that you're making when you walk into that workplace. And we come to the story in the book of Judges chapter 6 of a man by the name of Gideon. The Bible tells us that Israel is now under deep oppression. They're really, frankly, under judgment. Israel is running to the caves. They're running to the hills, to the mountains. And this is a period of seven years in which Midian is prevailing over Israel. Israel can't win. They can't get on top. They can't break the curse, if you will, because God's actually waking them up. He's trying to get them to see. And the Bible says because of them, they would go in and they would, after Israel would sow, verse 3, they would sow for their crops. The Midianites would come. And they would steal. They would camp against them, destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza. And they would take their sheep, their ox, their donkeys, their livestock. They'd come in like locusts, innumerable numbers, and devastate it. Israel was brought low. Israel was just, frankly, deflated and defeated. But there was a man by the name of Gideon. And Gideon is in this wine press. He's, I don't like when preachers preach him negatively. Because Gideon knows he's outnumbered. Gideon knows right now they're, they're being overrun by thugs. If you will, by bad people. The Midianites are taking over. And so if they walked outside, it was stolen. If they went to the car, it was stolen. And no matter what was happening, it was being stolen. So He's doing what he can in the way that it was, I believe, wise and industrious and creative, actually. He's inside this wine press. He's inside this vat. And he's got what wheat he has, and he's threshing it. He's beating it. He's working it to make for bread, to make for food, to make a difference in the lives of his family. But I don't think it was just his family. It was for his nation. Somebody has to work. Somebody has to say something. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody just can't. In fact, we can't all bow and run away. We can't just quit. And this Gideon has no quit in him. And it's interesting. The Bible says there is an angel watching. It says the angel of the Lord came and sat under this oak tree as he was beating out the wheat. And the angel appeared to him and he said, God's with you. The Lord is with you, warrior. Oh, valiant warrior, man of God. You are you're the man. And I love how he comes back and he says, oh, yeah? Well, if the Lord's with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers had told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He's wrestling. He's wrestling in prayer. He's wrestling with God. He's wrestling with sin, with the word, with the will of God. He says, I know the Lord brought us out, but now the Lord has abandoned us. It looks like he's given us up into the hand of Midian. 
He's got a temptation to deconstruct in his faith. How many know there's a lot of deconstruction in faith right now? There's a lot of deconstruction of the word of God, the deconstruction of church, of God, of Christ, of faith, of, if anything, religious, and I use that in a positive term. But understand something. You can't deconstruct truth. You can deconstruct, deconstruct a lie, but you can't deconstruct truth. And he's going through this season, this time, but, but he's also, he's got this other thing in him. He's fighting. He's warring. And the Lord sees him. He sees him working on it. He sees him trying. He's, he's watching. And I think like the Bible says, God looks to and fro for people who are willing to just continue to war, who continue to stand, who will continue to, to fight. And I'm not just talking about in faith. I'm just talking about in life. Not just giving up. Not just laying down. Not just, not just whining or griping or complaining. But going, come on, let's go, God. Where are you? I think the angel caught him maybe in that question when he was asking the Lord, where are you? See, this is how I read it. I think he was saying, where are the miracles? Where's the power of God? Where are the promises of God? Let me ask you a question. When you find yourself in a time like Gideon, do you just deconstruct or do you say, God, where are you? Let's go. Let's move. I was on a work Actually, it was a story I've told before. I won't tell it again because many of you are new, but talking about in the workplace, I was with, oh, I don't know, 20, 15 to 20 guys, oil field, and one of the men in this scenario, this situation, we were waiting on a well to log and all the oil field, different companies doing their work, and we're all just standing around, and all of a sudden, this one guy brings out a he holds up a penthouse magazine. He goes, hey. He goes, I hear that you're going to be a preacher. I said, talking to me. I said, yeah. He goes, I bet you look at this, preacher Joe. And he just begins to challenge me. Hey, look at this. Look at this, boy. Take a look at this. I know you like this, and I know you want some of this. And he's got this magazine with a centerfold holding it out in front of me. And I said, no, not. Hey, not now. You know what? I do. I want to live for God. And, just, and I'm trying to mind my own business. And he just keeps coming at me. He just keeps coming. He's like, I'm not going to give up on this. And all the guys are like, ah, ha, ha. And I said, well, okay. I've had enough. And I pulled out of my back pocket this plastic-coated Bible. It was a New Testament. And I said, well, obviously because you hold that and you want me to read that, you've never read this. And I hold up my Bible. You've never seen this. This is called a scripture. And he goes, don't tell me what I've read. He goes, I'm a leader in my church. He goes, in fact, I'm a deacon. I said, no, you're a demon, you demon. <laughs> I said, so you're telling me that you read, you believe in this book, you believe in this gospel, you believe in Christ, and then yet you're the one. Now, I, I didn't start this. Again, guys, I know people are going to pull stuff out every day. They're going to say things every day in the workplace. And again, I'm not saying you run to them and go, have you ever read this? That's not how this all went down. But he was fighting with fire and I went, okay, I'm not going to give up on this one. And I said, so obviously you've never read the Bible. And he goes, well, I am a leader in my church. I love God. I said, really? Wow. Hmm. And of course, even those of his buddies were standing around going, Wow. Even his lost friends knew that this was hypocritical. And what I began to do was just turn that conversation as to why he allowed for this compromise and, of course, why was he in that position. And the good news is he would come to me and say, you know what? You got me. God got me. And I want you to see something that we need people like a Gideon who are not willing to bow down when it gets hard. That even in a wine press, you might be in that constricted location. You may be in that wine press of that job you hated, that cubicle. God, I don't like this. I don't like where I'm working. But there's a purpose. And you got to grind it out. And you're going to have to continue, whether you like it or not. There's been many days I didn't like, I don't like working in the church. 
I want to quit. You got to grind it out. You got to work. Let me give you a couple things. And as God would tell Gideon, he goes, the Lord is with you. Well, what is he with? Who is he with? What kind of man is he with? How many want God to be with you? How many want God to be in partnership with you? Go to work with you. So the angel is there in Gideon's work. Standing with Gideon, watching. He's on the oil field location site with Gideon underneath that tree. Understand something. God is always watching. God is watching us. God is watching us. God is watching us from a distance. Who is this, by the way? What singer is that? Who is it? Bet Midler. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rick. I don't know who it is. He was watching. And then the Lord looked at him. Notice, it wasn't just an angel. It was the Lord. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this, your strength, and deliver Israel. It's interesting. Work matters. Because he went from maybe just taking care of his own family to now. God says, you're the guy I can use to change this nation. You're the guy that I can use to change all of Israel. I want you to go. And he said, well, Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? I can't even deliver myself. My family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. But the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. Let me give you a couple of thoughts as to who God works with and who does God work through. I want God to work through me. David said it in his video, we are the light. We are the salt. It's not about dollar signs, but making a difference. Number one, God works through people who are willing to suffer. I want you to get this. You got to suffer at work. Yeah, but you don't know my boss. Keep your mouth shut. I don't like my job. I'm going to quit. We're going to hit this. But guys, I don't think Gideon liked it either. He was suffering. He was suffering with the people of God. He was suffering. He was, he was in a bad place, hard place, difficult place, dark place. And yet he was, he was bearing it. He was holding it. Watch this. First Peter 2. This finds favor. It for the sake of conscience towards God. See, this is not about your paycheck. This is not about your comfort. This is about your consciousness. It's about your soul. This is what finds favor with God. This is what's going to attract God to the tree by your workplace. You're going to look out of your window and God's going to be up under that tree. For the sake of your conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with pain? In other words, you don't get a reward for, for that. He says, but when you do what is right and you suffer for it, and you patiently endure it, this is attractive to God. You see, we don't know any of this. We now know how to blog and review and go to HR and quit or whatever else. And what Peter is saying is, guys, you have been called, watch this verse 21, you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ suffered, he left you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, and of course he had no deceit in his mouth, and he was reviled, yet he didn't revile in return. And it says, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept trusting himself to him who judges righteous. That happens at work. I think that's where work begins to serve more than just a paycheck. It has a purpose. We need it. Because it breaks us. It breaks us. It breaks us. It humbles us. It, yeah, it's irritating. 
And you know what it even may do? It may deconstruct you. You may think, I don't even believe in God anymore. I don't even know what God is. But what God often has to deconstruct is a lie of what you think you got into when you gave your life to Christ. See, we have bought into this world's lie. In fact, the church's lie that I'm not going to suffer and I'm going to be the head, not the tail. Bless God, they're going to bow down to me. And I'm going to have the best parking spot and I'm going to get the promotion. And you may not. You may not get that promotion. In fact, they may say bad things. They may fire you without just cause. But what finds favor with God is the man that says, I can endure suffering if I have to. God, you got a purpose in this. See, we don't sometimes know what we've gotten ourselves into when we say, Jesus, I want your cup of salvation. He goes, do you think you can drink this cup? Do you know what cup you're asking for? You know what comes with this? And now we've got a lot of people that are deconstructing because you know what's happening? They're suffering. And they're quitting. But what they're quitting on is a false gospel. Because those who have met the true gospel and the true God, you can't quit because he's the truth. And he's the same. He doesn't move. And it just gets more real to me. I am more convinced this is real than it was for 35 years ago. Let them all go. Let the world go. Did you see the disciples walk out when Judah said, I'm quitting? And they went, yeah, we're going with you. No, not one of them did. And he went out in the darkness, took his life. Guys, you better get up and begin to make yourself, your mind up. Who am I going to serve when the Midianites and the attack? This is a real world we're living in now, guys. And I don't think it's good, and I don't like it, but I will tell you, it gets God's attention. If we endure, we will reign. If we endure, we will also reign with him. That word there in Timothy, if we suffer, we will also reign with him. Paul says, I know that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. See, when it comes down to it, to Paul and to the early church, you know what it was all about? The gospel. Salvation. People getting saved, plundering hell, filling heaven, having a heart for people to go to heaven, that people wouldn't go to hell. Their whole world was just make sure I am never doing anything that would give a bad witness to who Christ is. Number two, God works through passionate people. Gideon was a passionate man. He's passionate. I mean, he's threshing, he's hitting, he's working. And he can tell, this, this Gideon man, is he's filled with passion. I love this in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Don't lag behind in diligence. Translation, don't show up at work as the one always tired. I'm tired. How you doing this morning, Joan? Tired. I'm tired this morning. I'm tired this morning. I don't like losing an hour of sleep. How many were tired during worship? But what does the Bible say? Offer to God an acceptable worship. I'm tired, God. I'm tired. I'm so tired. I haven't had my coffee. You could be in Ukraine this morning. Can we just talk family a little bit here today? We could be there. We could be somewhere in the world today. Where we, we run to hide. Where do we go? We're blessed. Can we just thank God for his goodness, his mercy today? You'll do life tired. I love this. Don't lag behind in diligence. Don't be the worker that turns in the work the latest. Don't be the last one to turn in the work. Don't be the one that they always have to say, hey, did you get that? Well, you're 49 years old. You're 49, you're 50, you're whatever your age you want to put. You're just like you were when you were 13. Don't be the one lagging, dragging everybody else down. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. The Bible says serve the Lord acceptably. 
which means there's a way to not serve the Lord. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly, walk worthy or walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. In other words, there's some walk that God says, that is not, I don't even know that walk. I'm not walking with you. I'll never forget, I was in the sixth grade living in a, we were living in Long Island, New York, Massapequa, and I was in that weird, awkward stage, 13, 12, 13. I remember telling my mother, I don't want to walk with you in the mall. And she goes, I don't want to drive home from the mall with you in the car. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? How many want God to walk with you? Walk side by side. Well, guess what? He doesn't walk lazy. He doesn't walk except fervently. He's got, he's, it's not speed. It's not pace as much as it is character and righteousness. I love this guy, Epaphras, talking about passionate people, Epaphras. Paul writes at the very end of Colossians 4, he goes, this guy's he's in your number. He's a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Literally means he put himself back into slavery for Jesus. He was enslaved to Christ. He sends you his greetings, but he's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you would stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. I am telling you about this guy now because he has a deep concern for you and for all those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. This man laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. One of my jobs is to pray for you. How many want your pastor praying for you? How many of you don't want me to pray for you? <laughs> well, I want Lori to pray for you. Okay, well, then I understand that. How many know when I go to prayer, do you want me to pray earnestly? Or do you want me to pray, oh, God. I ask you to be with these people. <laughs> do what you got to do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Lord, I just pray that the, I don't know. You know, I know Paffer said he prayed that they would stand perfect and fully assured. Lord, I just pray. I don't know, whatever, whatever they want to do. <laughs> I just pray that they believe in God much less the will of God. Let's just start there, Lord. No. This is what Paul was writing to the church. He goes, guys, don't live like this. Live with passion. Even in a wine press, even in a difficult season, even in Ukraine, even in the, somewhere in the world. Number three, God works through humble people. God shows up. He gave favor to Gideon. God called Gideon to take the nation because he had this attitude that was in Christ. Although he, Jesus, was existing in the form of God, he was God, but he didn't play the God card, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and he became a bondservant and he became like man and he was in the appearance of man and he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Gideon says, I'm from the least of the tribes. In other words, God, how? see, he didn't play that pride card. He wasn't prideful. No matter how high or how, how much you get from God, don't ever go, don't ever think that you deserve it. How many know it's all because of the grace of God? Next is God works through servant-hearted people. Humble people serve people. They serve people. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to what? be served, but to serve. I want to ask you, have you moved from just being served in church to serving in church? I have a lot of our members that I'm friends with. I'll get to know y'all. And it's been more and more recently, Pastor Joe, we've been a member of our church for years, or we've been in this church for years, but we've never gone through growth track, which tells me something. You're never serving. It's just constant serve, be served, be served, be served. At some point, you begin to be like Gideon. He took responsibility. You know why God gave Gideon the responsibility to take the nation? He took responsibility for his own family. And what Gideon was not going to be was that parasite. Pastor Joe, I don't need to be beat up when I come to church. I want to be loved on now. I already lost an hour of sleep. Now you're calling me a parasite. I didn't call you that. 
But what Gideon wanted to be was a man who bore weight. How many people have we led to Christ this year? How much weight do you carry for the gospel? For the kingdom? Who depends on you? People are watching. God's watching. Bette Midler sang it. It's not just God watching, it's people watching. And he was a man of responsibility. He was a man that was humble, but humble people serve people. For me to live, Paul says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I'm to live on in the flesh, this is going to mean fruitful labor. I do not know which one to choose. In other words, Paul says, I want to go to heaven. But I know I need to stay because he goes, I'm hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart, to be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is necessary. Because if I leave, y'all are going to fall apart. If I leave, y'all are not going to make it. Southern Jerusalem. Let me give you an idea into Gideon's mind. Watch this. Judges 7, 17. When he's getting ready to break the pitcher and they had the torch in the pitcher. He goes, I love this little line. He said to his men, look at me and do likewise. Let me ask you a question. Can your family say, and can they hear you say, do what I do as I follow Christ? What I do, do it. Or do we say, what I just did, don't do it. <laughs> Mom knows he shouldn't, I shouldn't have said that. Dad knows, I, you know, whatever. The reality is, is that we need to make sure that we are people of servant-heartedness. And then lastly, worship team comes. He works through, watch this, believing people. Believing people. Believing people. So the Bible tells us that Gideon begins to build an altar. He goes as the Lord told him and he builds an altar. But there's interesting things. We don't have time to go through that chapter 6. But he's struggling. And Gideon, I love this. This, this gives you enough about Gideon's life. And it, in fact, I love this because it helps us because we're Gideon. Gideon took 10 men and he did as the Lord spoke to him. But he was still too afraid. And so he did it by night. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus is healing this man's servant or son and the boy's of course in all sorts of trouble and the Mark chapter 9 Jesus said all things are possible to him who believes and immediately the boy's father cried out and he said I do believe but God I got some unbelief Gideon's like I'm going to do what you told me to do but can I go at night I still have some struggles listen every single one of you you have belief, and then you have some unbelief. And that's okay. Because that's just the life that we have to live. We are in this body, and we're in a bad world, and we're dealing with some bad stuff. And there's going to be days when you're going to wake up one day going, I got faith. And then you're going to wake up the next day going, I don't have any faith. You're going to wake up one Sunday going, I want to go to church. Let's go, kids. And then the next week, your kids are like, let's go to church, Dad. I don't want to go to church. Get out of my life. Well, you said last week we're going to church. You said last week we're going to give God everything. You said last week we all got to serve because Pastor Joe said we haven't joined, and we joined, and we went through connection. And now you're saying we don't go. I'm touching some nerves there, I know. <laughs> Guys, I don't know what you're dealing with, but let me just say today, God wants to help. And he helps those who will admit, I got some unbelief. I got some doubt. I got some, I got weakness. Help me. If you think you have it all the time, listen, you're lying. We all need help. And we got to keep going. 
Even when we're not believing, even when we're not full of faith, God, help my unbelief. Help me. Even, Lord, I don't want to go at daylight. Can I go at dark? What are you wrestling with today? Pastor Joe, I believe the Lord. Watch this. I believe the Lord has me at work. How many believe the Lord has you at that work? Okay, we got nine people at work here, okay? (laughs) Or we have a lot of people that don't believe in work. But how many believe you're there by God's providence? Let me see your hand. You're in that job by God's providence. Okay. How many believe at the same time you don't always walk in there with faith? That's when you say, okay, Lord, before I walk in, before I put my hand on this door handle, help my unbelief that I am here by providence. I'm here by your purpose. Can we stand to our feet all over this place today? How many are thankful for a God that lets us go at nighttime when we're scared? How many, lets, how many are thankful for a God that allows us to do it scared? He did it scared, but he did it. Most of your life is going to be like that. You just got to do it scared. You just got to do it. And that's faith. And faith is saying, Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. I'm imperfect, but God, you're a perfect savior. How many are thankful for a perfect savior? Because it's not our perfection. It's not our perfection. It's his perfection. Not saved by my faith. I'm saved by the faith as it is in Christ Jesus. I trust him. And so today, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed all over this place. How many would say, Joe, I need the Lord to help me in my unbelief. Let me see your hand all over this place. I got some unbelief. I got some doubt. I got some weakness. I, man, I just, I don't know. I want to quit. I want to gripe. I want to complain. I don't want to worship. I'm tired. I don't want to be fervent in the spirit. I don't want to serve God. Or I don't want to serve God at work. I want the work to burn down. I want them to all go to hell. And you would too, Pastor Joe, if you work with these people. God says, boy, but I've worked with you. You better work with them. I remain faithful to you when you were not faithful to me. Say this prayer out loud. Can we just say it together? Jesus, help me. I am weak, but you are strong. I am nothing, but you are everything. And I look to you, Jesus, to fill me today with your strength with your power to do what you have called me to do. I want to be the light. I want to be the salt to those around me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.